Howdy. Good morning. Uh, so maybe with it being a little cold this morning, it felt a little more festive to you this morning. I don't know. My wife and I were saying uh, Friday is like, how do you get in the Christmas spirit when it's this hot outside? I don't know. Uh, and then this morning I walked out to my car and went, never mind. I'm good. Let's go back to 85 degrees. That was great. <laughs> Can we get some more of that? Um, but I hope, hope you're enjoying this Christmas season, even with the busyness in it. Our Advent series has been called The Gift, and we're studying uh, the wise men. And what we've said from the beginning of this study is that a lot of what we believe about the wise men has been more informed by Christmas carols than necessarily the scriptures, right? They were not three kings. Uh, there probably wasn't three of them. Uh, we don't know how many there were. We know there was more than one uh, because it was wise men, not wise man. Uh, we know there was more than one. Probably was a whole lot more than three, more than likely, but we don't really know. Uh, they probably didn't show up uh, at the birth of Jesus. He probably was older. It's probably a year, year and a half, uh, up to two years later that they showed up uh, in the home there. Um, and so a lot of the things that we think about uh, the wise men is really kind of confusing. I remember years and years and years ago, uh, I got sent an email that now, with the advent of social media, I've seen show up on social media sometimes that says we know it was wise men and not wise women uh, because if it were wise women they would have stopped and asked directions earlier shown up on time help deliver the baby help clean up the manger afterwards make some casseroles and they would have brought practical gifts so we know that it was men and not women but maybe these gifts were way more practical than we give them credit for that's what the study has been about, because we believe in each of these gifts, we see symbolism that reflect the gift. What we believe is that every good gift that exists in the world comes from God. James chapter 1, uh, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift comes from Him. And here's the amazing thing about our God. He is both the giver and the gift. And in these gifts that these nameless guys gave, we see the gift of Jesus. And it's interesting that they're nameless, that the, the names of the givers aren't mentioned here in the text. Now, if you Google, you can find three names for these three guys that are totally made up. There's no historical reference to this whatsoever. You can Google it later. They're actually interesting names. Not right now. Wait, wait a few minutes before you start Googling that. Um, but you can Google and find some made up names if you need names because we want to give names to them. Because we default as human beings to constantly trying to make the other things the focus. It's our default when the fact is their names are not what's important. When I give a gift, I make sure I fill out the gift tag, right? Not just the two. I want them to know who it's from. I want credit, right? And if it's a really good gift, I want to make sure my name is on it. And if it's not, a, I'm like, that's from Marisa. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, but like, we want credit for our gifts. Their names are not included in this because who was giving the gift was far less important for us than who the gift was being given to. And the fact is, the same thing that we share in common with those wise men is we are recipients of the true gift, the presence of Jesus. We see that their first gift was the most important gift. They gave the gift of themselves. That is, they followed after him. And in that gift that they gave, we see the true gift. Jesus is our guide. He is in the business of drawing us to himself. 
And then last week we looked at the gift of gold and we said gold uh, is their gift to him. But in the gift of Jesus, we see that Jesus is our king. And this morning we are going to look at frankincense. So grab your Bible if you would, please. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please keep that. Let that be our gift to you today. Uh, but we're going to invite you to hold up your Bibles with us and say our tradition together before we jump into the text. So let's say this together this morning. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Matthew chapter number two. Matthew chapter two. As you turn into Matthew chapter two, I would say this. This symbolism and these three gifts might not actually be the ultimate point of the gifts. We don't know. We, we don't have the ability to ask the wise men, what was your motivation in giving gold and frankincense and myrrh? Uh, some would say that these three gifts actually only have one symbolism in them, and it's what we discussed last week. Uh, some historians would say that was a traditional gift basket that you would bring to a king. And so some would say that that all of those gifts are actually summarized in what we focused on last week, that Jesus is our king. But for hundreds and and even for for almost 2000 years, there's been this idea of but we see other symbolism that fits with our theology, whether it was their intention or not. As a matter of fact, um, in, in A.D. 248, uh, less than 250 years after the birth of Jesus, um, an early church theologian, whom we do not necessarily agree with everything that he said, uh, but a theologian, a theologian named Origen of Alexandria, was writing an apologetic, trying to defend that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And in this writing, as he's defending and, and, and writing this, this apologetic for Jesus, he references these three gifts given by this group of wise men, And I love the language there. He says gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who was mortal, and incense as to a capital G, God. Incense offered to God. So let's look at our text again this morning. The the heart of the text is verses 10 and 11 of Matthew chapter 2. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy in going into the house They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, here's the thing about frankincense. It's easy for us to say, I don't get frankincense, right? As a kid, I always thought it was Frankenstein. Like, it seems like a weird gift, but at least they brought him one toy. That's cool. What's up with the frankincense? We we can act like we don't understand that. Incense, as Americans, as Southern Americans, as Texan Americans, as evangelicals, we're like, "Mm, we don't do incense. That's Eastern. Like Eastern religions do that stuff. They burn incense and whatever. We don't get that. We don't do that here. Or maybe you would say, no, it's just because of my evangelicalism. Uh, we're not Catholic or uh, Episcopalian or or whatever. So we, we don't use incense, right? We're the same people who are like, I don't get frankincense, who have um, a line of credit at Bath and Body Works and a diffuser in every room in our house with the latest trendy whatever oil that offers peace and calming. Then why are you so stressed? Because like, 
right? Or, or maybe you're one of those essential oils people. And I'm referring to you as though you're your own people group. Because you are. Right? Because either you are or you have someone in your life who is one of those people who has an oil for everything. Come on. Am I right? For everything. You're like, oh, I just hit my toe. I have a toe oil. No. Please don't touch me. Right? Do you feel sick in your stomach? Put this disgusting thing in your mouth. No, I feel sick on my stomach. Get away from me. No offense. Apparently there's not an oil for sarcasm. Um, So we know what frankincense is. As a matter of fact, if there's an essential oils person in the room, you probably have frankincense. There's a ton of uses for it. I actually Googled uh, uses for frankincense oil and 4.28 million results came back. Now I need to tell you quite a few of that 2.4, uh, uh, 4.28 million results were myths about frankincense that essential oils people will tell you as they're selling you essential oils. But a whole lot of them were legit uses. But at this time in history, when this gift was presented to the Son of God, there was one primary biblical use for frankincense. Just one. It was used by the priests in worship. And where gold was a gift fit for a king, we see that frankincense was a gift fit for a priest. And so we see that Jesus is our guide in the star, and we see that Jesus is our king in the gold. But this morning what we see is Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our great high priest. And if you're like me, you're like, okay, we, we don't really understand priests. We don't have priests. We got preachers. We're evangelicals, right? And so we don't necessarily understand priests well. And I'm going to confess to you this morning that as we were coming into the series, this was the week I was least excited about. Yes, even preachers have sermons they're not as excited about. <laughs> I mean, I know y'all got ones you're not as excited to listen to because I see your face. But like, I wasn't even excited to talk about it until I dove in and I'm like, well, wait, the fact that Jesus is our high priest changes everything. This is huge. The implications that we see in the gift of frankincense change everything for us. It's the best of news. And I can't wait for us to unpack it a little bit together. To do that, we need to study a little bit what does a priest do anyways. So I want you to dive in a little bit into some understanding of, of priestliness, and then we'll, we'll look at the big picture together, okay? And, and this question of what does a priest do anyways, I get that question. Because some of you have said you only work one day a week for an hour. What do you do the rest of the time, right? <laughs> And it's the same thing with the priests. Like, so what do they do? Anyhow. But we see that the priests were, were instituted, the priestly order and the priestly lineage was instituted by God to oversee worship, which is what's at the center of this story. We, we just read the verse. Look, look at it again. It says, when they saw, by the way, this is really important for us to say this morning, especially since we're talking about priests. They saw the child with Mary. They fell down and worshiped him. 
It's just important for us to distinguish. They did not fall down and worship Mary or pray to her or, or, or venerate her. They fell down and worshiped him. They worshiped him. And, and it might be easy for us to, to see that picture unfold in our mind and go, well, of course, they were overcome by the manifest presence of God. I would fall down and worship if I saw God too, right? But they came with that intention. Circle back up to verse number two. We haven't looked at it, I think. Well, we did look at it last week. That's right. When they showed up in Jerusalem, they're like, hey, where is he who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star and we have come to worship him. Our intent and our purpose is to worship this king. Which means maybe they weren't completely pagan astrologers after all. Did I redeem your nativity scene a little bit there? They were at least, we, we know that they would have been extremely educated and they would have understood Old Testament worship. They would have understand Hebrew worship. They came to worship. Where's the priest? Well, the worship that, that they engaged in was being governed by the priest they brought the gifts to. The great high priest. Jesus, the son of God. And if that's still not incredible and monumental then what we need to do is grow in our understanding of how did the priests govern worship? What did they really do? So hang with me for a few minutes because we're going somewhere I'm really excited about. But we got to get there. So come on. Here we go. You ready? Okay. One of the jobs of the priest was making sure that the altar of incense was doing its job. What the altar of incense's job was is to is to have this smoke rise up to the heavens representing the worship of the people and the prayers of the people. And do you know when that was supposed to happen? All day, every day. Like that, that, that was a 24-7 job by the order of the priest, is keeping the altar of incense burning. And it didn't leave there and it didn't stop there except for one day a year, the Day of Atonement, whenever someone would enter into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of the living God, they would take some of that incense with them into the presence of God. And so frankincense is what was being offered on the altar of incense. It's frank incense. Anybody ever seen that in that word before? I'd never seen that in that word before. And I just find that really interesting and I feel bad for Frank. They took his incense. It's what's being offered here for hundreds of years, day after day, this nonstop continual process. That's an important part of the, of where we're heading. Okay. So to understand this, this strict and detailed Old Testament Hebrew worship, and Jesus, how do we bridge the gap between what Jesus did and all this Old Testament Hebrew worship? How do we bridge the gap? What bridges the gap for us is the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Eleven times in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called our great high priest. The whole goal of the book of Hebrews is to make sense of how Jesus bridges the gap from that Old Testament ritualistic worship into what we enjoy and experience now in him. So I encourage you to read that at some point in time. Again, not now as you're Googling. So I want us to look at the book of Hebrews. Um, if you're using your Bible, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter number four. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter four and number 10. You can say parked in Hebrews four. Uh, we'll put... Uh, the passage up from Hebrews chapter 10, but Hebrews chapter 4, 
As you're turning over there, I'll say this. Those of you who've, who've listened to me preach for a long time, I say this frequently. Sometimes the incredible, incredible work done by the interpreters of scriptures, um, they put chapter breaks in places where they really don't belong. When God spoke his word, there was not chapter and verse. It was just this continual conversation for our reference. It's been added later. And sometimes they weren't added in the best place. And this is one of those places. The end of of Hebrews chapter 4 really belongs with Hebrews chapter 5. Really, it all should be one big, long chapter. And so what we're going to do, we're going to read the tail end of of Hebrews chapter 4 and the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse number 14. Since then, we have a great high priest. There's that language again. Who has passed through the heavens. Which direction? Both. Because we just sang about Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means. God with us. So he passed through the heavens and came down with us. He accomplished his task. He passed back through the heavens and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the whole point of Advent is there's another passing that's coming. (laughs) He's going to pass through the heavens again one day, maybe today. So he passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Because he's done all that, let us hold fast our confession. What confession? Our confession of faith that he's the Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Oh, thank goodness. He's just like us, yet without sin. Wait, never mind. (laughs) So he understands what it is to be us, and yet he did it on our behalf, is what that means. Let us then, because all that's true, with confidence. Oh, it's such a good word. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. All right. With confidence, we're coming to the throne of the living God. What gift does he demand of us? He's not asking for anything from us. He wants us to receive He's the giver of gifts. He wants us to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men, here's what his job is. He's appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is, and here's where I love where the Bible's really nice. He's beset with weakness. You know what that means? That means that priest is as busted up as we are. That dude needs Jesus as bad as we do. He's going to be patient with us because he needs the same thing that we need. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. All right, so hang with me here, okay? So the job of the priest is to to act before God in relation to God on behalf of the people for our worship, for our prayers, and for forgiveness of sins, sacrifice for sins. That we need an advocate, we need a mediator, we need a a go-between. And i got to tell you, that sounds really un-American. 
Because we're like, no, man, I want to go to the source. I want your manager's phone number. (laughs) I want to go to the top. I want to go around the middleman. But here's the thing about God. Busted up people have to have a mediator. We can't get to him the way we are. You know why? This is really deep today. Because God is God and we're not. He is holy. The word holy means other, separate, different, superiorly different. God is so different than us. Holiness is not one of God's attributes. It's the perfect description of all of his attributes. God's purity is holy. His power is holy. His glory is holy. His his mercy is holy and His grace is holy and His reach is holy and His wrath is holy. His goodness is holy. Everything about Him is unlike anything we've ever seen before. He's holy. And so we can't get to God because we're just us. We need somebody to go between us. And so the priest would have to go through this whole system to try to deal with their own brokenness to be an intermediary between the people and between God. And then they brought frankincense to a little kid. John, the beloved, would write about Jesus. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Apostle Paul would tell young Timothy, there's a mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He once and for all was the go-between on our behalf. That's what frankincense represents is God now has appointed a permanent mediator for us, his son. And then it says, in relation to God and for sacrifice for sins, one of the jobs of the priests was to over and over again, endlessly, Offer animal sacrifice for sins. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But here's the thing about constantly offering animal sacrifices for sins. Seems so foreign to us and so strange to us. And so, man, those animals were innocent. Yep, that's the point. For them to picture what they had to picture, they had to be innocent. But here's the thing about all those offerings. Year after year after year after year. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They might temporarily offer us protection from the punishment of sins, but they can't take away sins. They're just little animals. They can't do that. So this whole relentless system that the priests had to endure didn't even permanently work. And then this. If you skip down in Hebrews chapter 10 to verse number 10, it talks about Christ coming into the world. And it says this, by that, that Jesus has come into the world, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once For all. (laughs) And every priest stands daily at his service, 
offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had suffered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. Priests don't sit down. When we read in the Old Testament about the the furniture in the tabernacle and the furniture in the temple and the system and the what are they supposed to go and then they walk to this. And when we read about all of that detail, you know what's nowhere to be found? A seat. There's not a chair. There's not a bench. There's not a stool because priests can't sit. They have this constant relentless job. Their job is never done because as soon as they offer a sacrifice, somebody just cussed at somebody on the way home from the temple. And so the job was never done. But when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, you know what he did? He sat down. Priests don't sit. He sat down because it was finished. It's done. Once and for all, the sacrifice has been offered of himself. He laid down his life so that this relentless system would finally be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Once and for all. It's finished. He sat down. It changes everything. Jesus is our priest. He's the priest who offered the sacrifice of sin of himself. And so here's what all that means. Here's what all this has been leading to. All of that means this. Hear me. In Jesus, we have access to God. Oh, you didn't hear me. Oh, in the person of Jesus, we busted up. We have access to God. Access to the presence of God. Look back at Hebrews chapter 10. Well, you're not looking there. It's on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. Hear this as though this is God's word for a minute, please. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, goodness, I love that word. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. The confidence that we have because the sacrifice of this priest means we can draw near. Which takes us back to what we already looked at in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then with confidence, see that word again, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find Grace to help in time of need. Jesus is our priest. The permanent offering to God, which means we have access. Because 
None of us have seen inside the temple or the tabernacle. You might not know this. To be honest with you, I had forgotten this. I, I know we talked about this in Bible college, but I had forgotten this. Do you know where the altar of incense was in the temple and in the tabernacle? Here's where it was. It was right in front of the veil. It served as a bouncer to the presence of God. You're not allowed past this point. That altar of incense represented our offering to God, but it also represented a barrier between us and His presence. Until the priest became the sacrifice and declared it's finished once and for all. And what the Gospels record is that the veil in the temple was torn in two. It was not torn in two from the bottom up as though someone stood in the room and ripped it up because they knew what was happening. No, the Gospels are clear that the veil was torn from the unreachable top. They would have needed a ladder. It was torn from the top down as though God himself was saying, there's no longer a barrier between you and me because of the sacrifice of my son. You have access to the very presence of God. Jesus is our priest, and that changes everything. To the degree that we almost now take it for granted. This access to God, can you imagine the hundreds and hundreds of years of Hebrew worship? They couldn't fathom what we enjoy every day. They couldn't imagine what it would be like to live in the manifest presence of God because of the offering of Jesus once and for all. Eleven times in the book of Hebrews, he keeps saying he's our great high priest. And that changes everything. God has made a way through the shed blood of his son. For us to have access to himself. I've had a couple times that I've gone to athletic events where friends of mine gave me a VIP pass. It's a pretty cool experience. But do you realize that every single day we've got a lanyard hanging around our neck that says, I'm allowed into the throne room. The throne room of God. And not in this shameful, I mean, that's an intimidating thing, right? What does he want from me? So that we may receive mercy and find grace. That's what's available in his presence. I'll close with this. Um, heard this story recently uh, from Skip Heitzig that I think is a fitting way for us to end our time together talking about Jesus as our priest And he actually told this story in connection with this idea, the gift of frankincense and that Jesus is our priest. What he pointed out is something that actually happens to fall this week. This week is an important anniversary. 
This week is an important anniversary, not just for our country and not just for this nation. It is an important anniversary for humanity, for the whole world. Did you know that? This week, we celebrate the 118th anniversary of this event, December 17th, 1903, in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. The Wright brothers flew, and the whole world changed. Human life was forever altered 118 years ago this week. And probably you didn't know that anniversary was this week, because now we just take it for granted. Now we're annoyed that they won't give us pretzels and soft drinks and that there's not enough room for anyone over five foot three that's a true story the Wright brothers flew 118 years ago and they did what you would do when the world changed back then they went down to the local office where they could send a telegram back home They sent a telegram back home to their sister in Ohio. Her name was Catherine. The telegram they sent was this. We have flown 120 feet. The whole world changed. And then they added this little addendum. We will be home for Christmas. We've flown. Humankind has flown like a bird. She grabbed that telegram and ran down to the editor of the local newspaper, burst in the door, handed the telegram to the editor with her eyes wide. He read it and he said these words, how wonderful that the boys will be home for Christmas. The single most historic event of his lifetime happened in front of him and he was so stuck in just the tradition of the holidays that he missed it. Wow. See, the actual most significant event in all of human history is that it's finished. (laughs) It's that Jesus, our great high priest, has laid down his life to give us access to the throne room of God Almighty. And let's not be so busy about the tradition and the routine of this holiday season that we miss the grand narrative, that we miss the great news. This week, you're walking into life with no barrier between you and the living God in Christ Jesus. Wow. You might lose Wi-Fi and not have access to the World Wide Web. You might lose power if Snowmageddon happens again. I started twitching when the snow came on the screen during worship today. Like, no, lights are going to go out. You know what you can't do anything to lose? You can't do anything to lose access to the Father if you're in Christ Jesus. 
You can't blow it bad enough. You can't have enough doubt. You can't have enough failure. You can't have enough things that you might regret that lock you out. Once and for all, this priest has made a way. Do you know him? I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite the band to make their way back to the stage. And we're going to sing about the glory of being in the presence of God, in the throne room of God. And as we do so, if you need to talk to somebody about your relationship with Jesus, there will be some folks in the prayer room in the back, or you can text PRAYFW to 94000 if you're worshiping online. But we want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Let me just say this. Give me your attention. I know there's people moving behind me. Give me your attention. The reason that access to God is such a huge deal is because we need him. We don't got this. We're we're desperate for him. Like, God, if we don't have your grace, we're toast. If we don't have your mercy, we can't make it. God, we need you. If access is not a big deal to you, maybe you've forgotten how bad we need him. Right? I'll be honest with you. I I take breathing for granted unless I needed to be on the ventilator. All of a sudden I'd realize, oh, I need a breath. Right? Here's the thing. We don't have breath in our lungs apart from his life. We need him. What I think we need is not a fresh dose of confidence in us. We need a fresh dose of confidence to enter his presence. A fresh dose of how bad we need him and how available he is. Maybe this morning the prayer that you would pray is simply this. God, I need you and I need to know how bad I need you. And I need to be reminded how available you are. That he would create a desperation in us for his presence, a hunger in us for his presence. The the problem with the old priestly system is the people were dependent on the priest. And anytime we're dependent on another person, we're going to end up disappointed. If I'm your access to God, I promise you'll be disappointed. The beauty of of what Jesus has done for us. Revelation chapter 1 says he has made us a kingdom, priests before God. Here's why you don't need a priest on your behalf today. Because the great high priest has given you the same access as a priest. Can we reflect on that, Father? We need you. We need you. Like water in a dry and barren land where there is no water, we need you. Like a deer pants after flowing streams, we need you. God, we confess this morning as a people, we don't got it. so this morning we are overwhelmed with gratitude that you've granted access to your presence through the work of your son. God, with confidence this morning, with humble confidence, we rejoice 
and we celebrate and we worship because the priest, the great high priest, has made himself once and for all the sacrifice for sin. And because of that, we come before your throne with confidence.